Hi, and welcome to Recovered, a podcast from the Magdalene House, a recovery community for alcoholic women. We are a 501c3 nonprofit organization based in Dallas, Texas, and known by many as Maggie's. Each week, a recovered alcoholic woman is interviewed and asked questions about certain topics surrounding her journey of recovery with your host, Stephanie Crawford. Whether you're in recovery yourself, contemplating giving it a try, or just supporting someone who is, we are so glad you're here. Thanks for listening. Hello, podcast listeners. My name is Stephanie Crawford, and I am the host of this here podcast, Recover Out Loud. And today on Recover Out Loud, we are going to be recording our series, Recovered, Interviews with Alcoholic Women. And so today our guest was recommended by a dear friend of mine named Josh. I am really excited to hear what she has to say. Um, She hangs around some of the people that I love and respect, and they say that you are who you hang out with. So um, I'm sure she has a lot of good solution, good experience to share. So... Mel P is her name. If you could just introduce yourself, give us your sobriety date, and then you can start with some background information about yourself and what led you to a place to get sober, and we'll just go from there. Cool. Well, I am Mel. I am an alcoholic, and I am originally from New Jersey, Um, so being in Texas is still wild to me, and everyone likes to make fun of me for it because I was so opposed to being like a Texan and now I've been here for almost five years and I love it and I love everyone that I've met. I love it. Took a while. But um, so my sobriety date is January 23rd of 2019 and boy did I not think that I would have made it. I got sober when I was 21 and I had started using at the age of 12. I was using substances and drinking and My drinking really led me to just like a dark, dark place. And ultimately what happened was I was homeless in South Florida with my ex-boyfriend who was 10 years older than me. I had no idea what was going on and and what was happening. Um, I just knew that I was like really scared and and really alone. I found out that he had plans to leave and wasn't going to tell me. So I freaked out because I didn't want to be homeless alone on the beach. I didn't know anything. I was mortified. I just knew I wanted to not be sober, not feel anything I was feeling. But above all else, I I really was just at a place where I wanted to die. And I was so mad every time I, you know, was in a really bad situation and I wouldn't die. My mother had found a program here in Dallas about a year and a half before I actually agreed to go. And eventually I called her and I was just like, look, I'm ready. And the day came that I was supposed to get my flight to Dallas. And I remember being like, oh, my God, I I don't want to come. I don't want to do this. And the program director reached out to me and and she called me and she was just like, look, if you hate it here, like I will I will be the first one to buy you a ticket back to Florida if you so choose. And I was like. Okay, fine. Was that Erica? It was actually Stephanie. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, yeah, it was a while ago. Yeah. Yeah. So, I came to to Dallas, and, and that's when I met Erica, and she was my first sponsor. And I lied to her every day, all the time. I was not ready. I 
snuck out of the sober living I was at. I'd go to the club and do crazy things all the time. And I would run back home right before we were supposed to wake up. So nobody knew that I was away or that were I was Were you staying doing... sober this, t- this whole time? No. Okay. No, no, no. All in all, uh, after this time in the sober living, I ended up in the hospital and I was overdosed and I had to get my stomach pumped for alcohol and I'd flatlined and, and no one really knew what to do. The executive director thought she was going to have to call my mom and tell her that I'd passed away. It was, it was really, really scary. And I remember they had to rip my clothes off of me. And so I had this jumpsuit, this hospital jumpsuit that they let me leave with. And I remember uh, one of the RAs at the time was driving me home. And I, the only thing I had was this jumpsuit. And I was just looking around. And we went back to the house. And I was just hysterically crying. And I didn't know why. Because I wasn't sad. I wasn't happy. I was just broken. So broken. And I remember Erica and the program director who was then Sarah and Allison sitting down and being like you can either do this or you can leave and be homeless in Dallas and I just knew I didn't want to be homeless again so what I did was I stayed I went to a meeting and I was still detoxing in this meeting and like reeked and it was I was gross and falling asleep at the table but I saw this woman and I literally only picked her to be my sponsor because she had these really cool hoops on and I was just like I like you it'll be fine but for whatever reason God allowed me to listen to her and I sat across the table from that woman from like every day for whenever she asked me to be available I was available and I worked the steps with her and through that experience, I, I finally had a spiritual awakening. And I actually, I attribute, and I tell everybody this, I attribute my sobriety as an accident because I never wanted to be sober. I never wanted this. Never wanted to be a better person, right? Like, I just, I just didn't want to feel that pain anymore that I had felt. I didn't want to feel that way. I was tired of looking in the mirror and not recognizing the woman that looked back. I was tired of my parents, like, not wanting to talk to me and, and my family you know, regretfully abandoning me, but rightfully so, because I was a terror. I was an absolute terror. And I and I worked the steps, and I finally got to a place where I was not necessarily happy with who I was, but more okay and stable. And as I continued and, and you know, started making amends and, and doing all that really fun stuff, I, I started to become whole again, or wholer. Are you happy with who you are today? Yeah. Yeah, yeah I am. Today, I'm le- actually, I love it. I get to help men and women, but especially women and young women. So women in, like, their teens that are struggling and have no idea, um, I get to do that for a living. And then on my own time, I get to work with women and take them through the steps. Um, and it's so cool. It's cool, you know, when you're sitting across from someone, you see the light in their eyes when they get something mm-hmm. or that despair when they don't, but they want help and they're willing. It's so cool. Mm-hmm. It's really so cool. So you got sober really young then? Yeah. How old were you? I was 21. You were 21? Mm-hmm. Okay. And I'm 24 now. Oh, wow. So I'm still a baby. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but how cool is that, though? Yeah. I have um, a sponsee right now, and she's... 22 and I just started working with her and she thinks her life is completely over you know because 
Nobody wants to get sober. I mean, that's a that's an assumption. I did not <laughs> want to get sober at 22. Um, hey, I get it. <laughs> you know, I wanted to control and enjoy at 22. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to quit for good and for all at 22. For good, totally. Yeah. And I'd started going to treatment when I was 15. So by between 15 and 21, I was in about 12 different treatment centers. And I refused, refused to believe I was an alcoholic, that there was anything wrong with me. I was like, I'm fine. I'm going to go to college. I'm going to live like this normal, right, like quote unquote normal life. And lo and behold, here we are. But I'm much happier than I thought I ever would be. But whew, yeah, it's been a journey. Yeah. Isaac Wesley's dad, he started coming into the rooms and going to treatment at age 15 too. Yeah. It happens a lot more frequently than you'd think. Yeah. Oh for, yeah. For sure. So I'm sure you're able to kind of like give hope to the younger ones, you know, cause you're pretty cool, right? You, you I should, like to think. Yeah. So, you know, <laughs> you show that you can like be cool and have fun and sobriety and your life's not over and it can be fantastic. Oh yeah. I still, and I tell people this all the time. It's like, if sobriety wasn't fun, I would not still be here. Like no way on earth yeah. because one of the things that I love about myself is, like, how spontaneous I am, how, like, outgoing and willing I, willing I am to, like, go on random trips and do stuff with my friends and family and, and be funny and goofy and silly and serious, you know, when needed. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. If it wasn't fun, I wouldn't still be here. I mean, right. the book even says it. No, you can talk about the book okay, all day great. long. Okay, great. Yeah. Okay, wonderful. Yeah. Yes, the book says it. We are not a glum lot. We yeah. would not be here if we were. Yeah, no, our curriculum is big book. I mean, say anything about the big book you want. We like that. I love the big book. Yeah, so do I. It's my favorite. Yeah. So you started drinking, using at age 12. Mm-hmm. Do you have alcoholism in your family? So here's, you know, what? want to know it's really funny. I grew up my entire life believing I didn't. And then recently, and that was just because my mom was in denial. And if she ever hears this, she'll be so upset, but it's okay. My, I have a handful of aunts and uncles on her side of the family that are addicts and alcoholics mm-hmm. that I didn't know until, until very recently. And on my dad's side, it's more mental health. Yeah. But together, it was the perfect storm. Perfect storm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So did you feel like isolated and like you were like the only one or? I did. So my childhood, my parents, so I was an only child. My parents struggled to have me. So when my mom finally did have me, she was like a helicopter mom. And she's Jewish. So she's a Jewish helicopter <laughs> mom, which like all in all is just like extra. Oof. Um, and, you know, they gave me everything I could have asked for and they they themselves weren't addicts and alcoholics. They had, you know, their own set of issues, right? Every individual does. But when I started having these problems, I felt so alone. And I felt like nobody understood and nobody knew what I was going through. And that I was the black sheep of the family. And that feeling in and of itself was very isolating. And I don't know if that at the time drove me to do more mm-hmm. of it because I felt you know, although it was a false sense of being part of, I felt more part of when I was out drinking and doing stuff with these random people that right. I met, you know? Yeah. No, I, I know that feeling. I definitely felt like the black sheep of the family for a very long time and sometimes still can, depending on how I'm doing. Oh, for sure. Uh, has that gone away for you? You know, yes and no. 
I love my family and they're awesome. But I think the coolest part of sobriety is being able to create your own family with the people that you meet. While I do still feel like the black sheep of the family in certain aspects and at certain events or at weddings and bridal showers and stuff like that, when they're like, oh, we can't drink because Mel's going to be here or like stuff like that. I'm like, do what you want. Like, I'm, I'm not asking you not to, but whatever <laughs> you're comfortable with, that's fine. I, I genuinely feel most at home with the people that I've met here that are or have been through the same experiences in their in their own you know versions and so I feel like I've created almost a new family yeah yeah um it says that we'll create the fellowship we crave right absolutely and what a promise that is Ugh, it's really cool yeah I didn't believe it yeah when I first came into the rooms no no <laughs> yeah I didn't believe anything so I'm kind of curious because you now work for Erica, and since we're talking about Erica so much, I'll put her link in the show notes if anybody wants to listen to her episode. And she was once your sponsor, but you lied to her every day. Oh, yeah. How did she had to have known you were lying, correct? Yeah, no, she didn't know I was lying until I was on the hospital bed. Okay. Um, Nobody knew, not even the sober living. It was a weird time at that server living and I don't think uh things were working the way they were supposed to be working which is why I got away with it for so long mm-hmm. um and even if they were I would have found a way to use oh, right yeah. like it has nothing to do with them but um no she didn't she didn't know and when I when I did relapse and everyone well I had relapsed a while ago but when she found out that I relapsed I found a new sponsor and she actually became my case manager at that sober living and through that experience I don't know why and it was maybe because I had already gone through the work with her that I felt comfortable but I just was like really able to open up to her I just kind of told her flat out like all the things that were going on and what was running through my head and then after that I started working at that sober living Mm -hmm. so I had worked with her for about two years um, and it was me her this other woman, Jen, and Emily, and it was the four of us doing everything, mm-hmm. and we loved it. Like we loved, we were working really hard, but we loved what we were doing. And I think that was a time where Erica and I grew really close. So, you were you went through the steps while still drinking. I went through the steps and carried H and I's while I was drinking. So there was yeah. a lot of amends that I needed to to make <laughs> there. Um, I was sharing at meetings. I picked up chips. I did the whole nine. Wow. Oh, yeah. Wow. That definitely, the more than anything, the alcoholic leads a double life, right? Mm-hmm. I was, oh, and I was so good at living a double life. I was, you know, making, you know, the requirements I needed for my sober living. I was doing the things that Erica was asking me to step work wise. Like, was I doing it well? No. Was I doing it like, heartfelt no was I conceding to my innermost self no but I did enough to make it seem like it was done at least to me maybe she was able to read right through it honestly I'm sure she was knowing her but (laughs) I thought I had everybody fooled and I'd go to meetings and I would share and did you sponsor people I didn't sponsor people was it because nobody wanted what you had or correct (laughs) I wonder why (laughs) That's so I wonder why they didn't want what I had. That was great. <laughs> no, I had to make am- I had to make amends to Nexus. Yeah. 
Yeah. Because I used to go out there and carry the message drunk. I mean, I may not have been drunk then, but I was definitely hungover and I wasn't myself. And I had everyone convinced that I was sick, that I just had some like long chronic illness that wouldn't go away. Nice. I had the RAs bringing me tea in bed when I was, oh yeah, it was bad. Wow. Oh yeah. So tell me about the amends you made to Nexus. Okay. Well, that amends was terrifying so terrifying and this is what I tell my sponsees today like yes four and five are awesome and you can get as honest as you want but for me it wasn't until I got to my amends that I really started creating a relationship with God because boy did I have to have blind faith that everything was just going to work out the way it was supposed to work out and I went to Nexus and it was when Amber was working there Mm -hmm. and I had known her before and I spoke to her and I was like, hey, is, is it possible for me to speak to the girls? And it was a different group of girls there than when I had brought the message, not in my right mind. And I was, I was really scared. And there actually, there was another group there carrying the message themselves. Um, and then I asked permission to inter- interrupt and intervene. And I was just like, hey, I'm Mel. Um, I'm an alcoholic. And I have to tell you all the truth. And there were a couple girls in there, and they didn't know me, right? Like, they'd never heard me speak before, but they were not happy. They were like, how dare you? Really? Oh, yeah. But the majority of the girls were like, oh, my God, I totally get it. Yeah. Because you're not the only one who has done that. Oh, no, no. But I don't know how many people get honest about it. Well, you know, Isaac, Mm -hmm. he did a fist up with a guy, like, the day before he died. Oh, wow. Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. Oh, he was very, very good at leading the double life. Yeah. I mean, the the relapse that he had before that, he had gone to uh, Turtle Creek mm-hmm. and carried the message. You're definitely not, not the only not one. Not the only one. Oh, yeah. I mean, how did that feel, though? Like, that had to not have felt good unless you were just, like, kind of... It didn't feel good. It was what I was expecting. And then I actually, um, you know, when I was telling my sponsor about it, she was like, you can turn people away from, from, you know, wanting what you have or wanting what any fellowship has or anything like that. If you, if you lie and you're deceitful, the only way to get through it is to just be honest about where you were at. And so I had already felt just like shame so much shame just like bubbled up inside of me and I although the feedback was like 20% bad 80% good I felt like a weight was lifted off my shoulders Mm -hmm. and I just felt like oh my god like I can breathe and I had a a handful of amends that did not go well let's talk about those oh yeah we can totally talk okay. about those um <laughs> you, you typically only hear like the beautiful stories kind of thing but people need to know that it's not always like that and if you have an amends that doesn't go well that's okay oh yeah the book doesn't say that life is going to be sunshines and rainbows it says that everything's still going to happen the way it was we're just going to figure out how to get through it sober so when i was in Florida I got really close with these two girls and then I left to go be with this man and it I'd like stolen some stuff from them and some money and whatever and I had a roommate 
here in Dallas once I moved out of sober living and her and I took a road trip from Dallas to Miami um, so a 22 hour drive and I was like oh my god while we're here let's do some amends and I would love to have your support and she was like hell yes like let's do it so I go and I meet up with these two girls and they're just so excited to see me and like so excited that I'm sober and doing well finally because they had maintained sobriety so at this point they were like two three years sober I was really excited to see them really excited to make an amends I had already made my approach they were like yes let's do it so I made amends to them and the amends itself went well the next day my friend and I and the two girls uh went to the beach together and when we came home one of them called me crying and I was like what what happened and she was like there's a half drinking wine box in my glove compartment and I know it was you how dare you and then she just went off on me and in my head I was thinking I wouldn't have chosen wine I would have chosen vodka and I wouldn't have left half of it I would have finished all of it this is crazy but I started crying after she got off the phone and I was I was devastated because I was like, oh, my God, I, I, you know, I'm beginning to fix these two relationships. And after that, they didn't give me the benefit of the doubt. They didn't want to see me the rest of the time we were in Miami. I actually called Erica. She wasn't my sponsor, but I just wanted to talk to her. And I remember just crying to her. And, and something that she said that has always stuck with me is, A, the truth always reveals itself, mm-hmm. and B, your character will speak for you, and everyone else's will speak for them. She's told me that before, too. Oh, my God. It, it was a life changer the first yeah. time she told me that. Mm-hmm. I was like, okay, fine. And actually, weird that we're talking about it, a couple weeks ago, maybe a month ago, I was going through a, a little bit of a rough time, and this girl calls me, and she was like, hey, Mel, it's Jordan. Would you be willing to hear an amends from me? And I was like, yeah, I would. I totally would because I was like, oh, my God, I'm going to get vindicated. It's great. (laughs) Like, woo. And she was just like, I know I'm not supposed to say sorry, but I'm really sorry. Okay, whatever. Um, And she was like, I found out whose it was. I blamed it on you and didn't give you the benefit of the doubt. I just assumed. And if I were in your shoes, I would be really angry and sad and in a lot of pain. And she was just like, you were on my heart a lot recently. And I just felt, I felt the need to call you. And I was blown away because I just never, at this point, like, you know, it was two years ago. I didn't think anything of it anymore. I was just chalked it up as like one of those stories to like tell sponsees when they're going through a tough time. Mm -hmm. And it was, it was awesome. And her and I in the last month have like maintained like a pretty good long distance friendship. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. So the truth did reveal itself. The truth revealed itself. And yeah. Uh, So with Nexus, did they tell you what you could do to make it right? Or what have you done to make that right? So what I've done to make that right. They didn't say anything. Amber was just like, yes, come tell the truth. I think she she had already known because she was also my therapist while uh. I was using and I was like falling asleep <laughs> in sessions and stuff. So she, it wasn't a shock to her. The girls actually, a couple of them asked me to not ever come back. I haven't and not necessarily only because of that, but 
I just haven't. And it's probably subconsciously because of that. And the other ones were just like, share your story, like tell more people. And the latter is, was like really cool for me to hear. Not necessarily just that they weren't mad, but that they were accepting and they were like, oh my God, I would have totally done the same thing. Yeah. So that was wild. Yeah. Like, and it was only a group of like 12 girls. Like, it wasn't like an auditorium film. Oh, really? It I'm was thinking a, of like an auditorium. No, no, no. It was a really, it was a small group. Oh, wow. Yeah. At the time, it was, it was a pretty small group and I felt better. And it was funny because the people that were also on the stage that, I didn't know that were bringing like I didn't know them at the time and they were like who on earth is this girl like getting honest about some whatever and I was like okay well this is terrible I'm gonna go back to my sober living now and pretend like this didn't happen but it was actually really super magical yeah so what I've done really is continue to stay sober and just be honest when when things happen and late not lately but since I've been sober, right, have have met a handful of people that may not have done the exact same thing, but have lied about being sober when they weren't and done other things, whether it's like, you know, lie to their parents so they can continue to get money from them or lie to a sober living so they don't get kicked out, you know, and and push came to shove and they were found out, right, Um, and sharing my experience with them and being like, hey, like, it's not your life isn't going to be garbage now. Like there's so much hope. These are just the steps you need to take to get there. Yeah. I mean, I've done that too. Like I always like tell people that are the women here that before this time I'll be celebrating six years and next month, which is congratulations. Thank you. I mean, it's a, it's a miracle as you know, but yeah, before this time, like the only honest chip I was ever able to pick up was 30 days. It doesn't mean that I didn't pick up chips or pick up key tags or lie to my parents or pretend to be so like I did. I Mm -hmm. did all those things. I went to meetings, everything, um, but I wasn't sober. I was still drinking. I was, you know, doing other things and but I would go in and I would just, you know, Mm because I honestly like I at first I would pick up, you know, a desire chip after desire chip after desire chip, but I I find I just was so embarrassed after a while of picking up this. this oh yeah, you know, and I was like, oh, I'm yeah. not doing this again. So here we go. Yep. Just gonna pretend. Oh yeah, and I remember. I remember when I first came down here, I picked up my first desire chip at Citywide. Oh wow. And it was the first meeting I'd been to down here, and I was all about it. And I was like, we're going to do it, guys. And then after that, I was like, oh, my God, I made such a big production about picking up my desire chip. I can't pick up another one. <laughs> like, oh, I know. Oh, my. Mm-hmm. How, that must have been something. Yeah, it was. I was, you know, it was my like second day and at the sober living and I made friends with a couple of the girls pretty quickly and they were like you should go do it and I don't think they're expecting me to do it and I was like okay I'll show you and I, I did it and yeah. I was like I'm gonna be the center of attention oh all yeah these people. like yep all eyes on me let's do it <laughs> they're all clapping for me mm-hmm. like they're all here for me <laughs> yes. oh my god yeah yep that's exactly <laughs> how I would have been feeling too yeah so okay how is it 
It sounds like you have like a lot of experience, I think, with doing things, quote unquote, the wrong way, right? And I'm saying that in yes. quotes. <laughs> and now, you know, you're living this life and, you know, I'm practicing principles and sponsoring and everything else. You know, has that shame and all of that been removed? You know what? I don't regret any of it anymore. Yeah. There was a time when I did, for sure. Maybe those, like, first six months. Now I don't. Now I'm like, this is some, like... Cunning, baffling, powerful. Exactly. Like, this is just the reality of the Mm -hmm. disease that I have. Yeah. And I love being able to share it with other people. And what I've actually found is, is especially the younger women, they're able to relate because, they, you know, they're like, oh, my God, I've been lying and doing all this stuff. And I thought it was just me. And I was like, no, sis, it's all of us. This is my story. And, like, her story is like that. And her story is like that. And so is hers. Mm-hmm. So I don't regret any of it. Yeah. Yeah. It reminds me of, like, two of the promises where we won't regret the past, nor we'll shut, shut the door on it. And then no matter how far on the scale we've gone, we'll see how our experience can benefit others. Oh, yeah. Which, by the way, if anyone's listening and you're wondering if you're not an alcoholic, normal drinkers don't have to pretend to be sober. They just be sober. They just be sober or, like, keep drinking and don't care (laughs) because there's nothing wrong with them when they do drink. Yeah, so if you're lying about being sober, you might be an alcoholic. Yes. Are you or someone you know struggling with the inability to stop drinking? At the Magdalene House, we believe that alcoholic women deserve a place to recover with dignity. In our two-week residential program, clients will be introduced to what alcoholism is and what alcoholism isn't, as well as be presented with a solution, all in a loving and supportive environment. All of our programs are at absolutely no cost, and because we accept no government money, we can accept women all over the world and stick to our own curriculum. If you want to stop drinking and cannot, call 214-324-9261 for a phone screen. All right, so you've been recovered now for since 2019. Yes, so right. a little over three years now. Okay. Crazy. Congratulations. Thank you. You said you were going through some things. Like, what has been some of the challenges that you've faced? And you don't have to, like, you know, get too Yeah, no, it, I'll get into it. I don't okay. mind. So I find myself... Or not fine. It's not like a consistent thing. But every now and then I find myself making decisions in sobriety that might be crazier than when I made them in my addiction. Um, And the reason I say that is because I don't have anything to blame it on anymore. Mm -hmm. And one of those decisions was choosing to get back together with the ex that I was homeless with. Nice. Oh, yeah. Um, Turns out he's still a narcissist. Who knew? (laughs) Um, yeah, and I let that man live in my house rent-free and all bills paid for, like, longer than he should have been there is what I'll say. And I isolated from my friends. I barely went to meetings. I barely did anything except for work. I would work and come home and work and come home. And it didn't hit me how dark it was until he finally left. Because finally I was just like, this is out of control. Like, you got to go. And he was like, I got to go. And um, he left and he went home and actually barely spoke to me after that. And I've, I was so hurt. Right. And I felt so 
stupid and taken advantage of. And I was just like, Mel, you're just like another dumb young girl getting taken advantage of by an older man and blah, blah, blah. And look at you. You're sober now. Like there's like some crazy things that happened in that time period that I, you know, Mel in her right mind today would not allow to happen. And it didn't hit me how dark of a place I was in until afterwards I was hanging out with one of my friends and he was just like, and he waited a little bit to tell me this, but he was like, you know, after he left and you and I hung out, I had never seen you just so purely joyous to be around your friends and just be happy to be around somebody other than him and to be around people that actually care about you and like want to add to your cup instead of take from your cup. And I started crying. And I'm actually, I know I've mentioned a few times so far that I've cried, but I'm, I'm really not a big crier. And it took me a really long time to refeel my emotions and get that back. And especially to cry in front of men like I don't do because trauma. So um, I, and I started crying and I was just like, oh my goodness. And I didn't realize how, how dark it had gotten mm-hmm. and, and how, how sad I truly was. You know, I'm not going to lie. Like, there was a couple times in there, because he's not sober, um, where I was just like, it would be really easy to just say, screw it and go use. And I'll say, like, if I wasn't working the job that I was working, which was, you know, heavily involved in the program and the steps, I don't know if I would have made it because God, I certainly didn't allow God to be present. And I certainly didn't allow anyone in my fellowship to help me during that time frame. So um, we've since broken up and very recently I broke up with him and blocked him on everything. And I haven't felt so empowered to like truly work on myself, like mentally, physically, spiritually, and in so long, probably since I first went through the work with a hoops girl. Yeah. I, and I think part of me just kind of had him in my back pocket the whole time I was sober. And for the first time I feel like free Mm -hmm. and I thought I'd be a lot more scared and sad and upset. But the reason why I, you know, I'm not feeling those things is a because of God, but b because I truly think, you know, it wasn't for me, and yeah. God is allowing me to get just get rid of it and move on. Yeah. So. Well, I mean, one right, our liquor is but a symptom. Mm-hmm. You know, so self is a problem. Right? I am the problem. Yeah. Always. And two, I think sometimes like we forget that just because we're recovered doesn't mean that we're never. That we're actually still sick. Oh, yeah. (laughs) And we're still human beings. Like, we're not just these magical sober beings now. Mm -hmm. Like, we're still people. Yeah. We still have shortcomings. Like, if we – and that's why, like, it's so important to have a relationship with a higher power because you cannot be reliant on human beings because they will always fail you just like Mm -hmm. we fail ourselves sometimes. Yeah, or put people in recovery on pedestals. Oh, my God. I used to do that, too. Mm -hmm. I used to put, like – these girls that I didn't even know or these women in the program they'd have like three or five years and I you know was using and but I was at the meeting and they would talk about like how they wake up and they put their headphones on and play worship music and I was like oh that'll never be me but I was like secretly really wanted what they had right Mm -hmm. and just chalked it up to I don't deserve that or whatever the case may be 
And then when you get to know them, they're just, you know, another dope fiend and another alcoholic, just mm-hmm. like you and me. And we're all just the same. We're all just walking through this shoulder and shoulder. Mm-hmm. No idea what's going to happen next, right? Really just hoping for the best and like trying the hardest we can to use these principles and these tools that have been given to us to just make it through. And I think that was like a really, really big realization for me in terms of just like, hey, none of us really know what we're doing. We're just trying. Yeah. No, I've had experiences like that where I've been like, I'm so embarrassed. Like, I've been sober for this long. Like, I should know better. I shouldn't have done this. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the day, I'm very flawed. Oh, yeah. You know? Oh, yeah. And we're still going to make mistakes. And I think, you know, when... I, when we put people in recovery on pedestals, it's like when they fall off of those, because they will, uh-huh. it feels like such a betrayal. Like, wait a minute, you mean you're not perfect? Right. Like, you were supposed to be perfect. Like, I need you to be perfect, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and it just sets you up for... Failure. Yeah. Yep. And resentment and everything else. Mm-hmm. So I recently got out of a relationship, and my intuition was saying no Mm -hmm. um, because there was just some things like we weren't at the same places in life kind of thing. Right. And anyways, there was a lot of my intuition that was like, don't do it. But then the other part of me that was like, woo, this is fun. It's fun. It feels good. It feels great. And, you know, yay. Yeah. (laughs) Kind of pushed away that. Right. That intuition. And not that, like, I regret anything that happened, Mm -hmm. right? But I do remember when it ended being hurt, not just because it ended, but because I was like, you knew this was going to happen. Right? Oh, my goodness. Yeah. And you put yourself in this situation anyway. Yeah. It's like you knew the outcome, sis. Like, you knew off the rip probably what the right decision was, but you just couldn't do it. Mm -hmm. And then, oh, my God, I can totally relate to that. And I think almost that's, like, what I was the most upset about, right? It's because, like, I saw, like, red flag, red flag red flag but like if I like close one eye and then close the other like those red flags kind of look orange yeah and I make it okay and I justify it and, mm-hmm. and whatever yes Ugh. and usually if I'm justifying and rationalizing something I shouldn't be doing it it's a bad idea <laughs> yeah 10 out of 10 bad idea yeah for sure yep and I was talking to some I forget I think it was my sponsor because she was like do you think you oh him and amends and I was like no you know, it's like the biggest thing is, is like I didn't listen to my intuition. And I've done this repeatedly with relationships yep. specifically, mm-hmm. um, especially whenever Isaac was using and everything else, like everything in my intuition was like, he's, this is, but I was just not gonna listening. Listen. Yeah. Yep. Um, and I'm like, why do I keep doing this? Why do I keep ignoring my intuition? Mm-hmm. And um, it was said to me that we learn to trust our intuition by all the times of going against our intuition and and getting in pain because of it so maybe makes sense maybe it'll be different next time right maybe (laughs) 
definition of insanity, doing the same thing over and over again, (laughs) expecting a different result. And it's not just with drinking, right? Oh, my goodness. That's like step one, part B, and all the unmanageability Mm -hmm. and just really experiencing it. I was like, oh, my goodness. Like, how did I end up here? And I remember talking to my sponsor about it in the early stages when, like, he – entered my life again and all this stuff because he lives in Colorado like we don't even live in the same state and she was just like are you sure this is what you want for yourself and I was like yeah and she was like really you think this is what God wants for you and I was like mm-hmm. <laughs> and like even in that, as I was responding to her I, I didn't believe myself and she was like okay and you don't think there's anything wrong with the fact that he's like not working in program and not doing anything and I was like Mm-mm. no it's totally fine like everything's gonna be great and just like okay and I remember calling her when all this you know stuff happened I was actually in Colorado when I broke up with him and I was with one of my best friends and I actually didn't even see him I I got there and he he we were supposed to meet up and he literally just texted me like an hour later and just said can't with no explanation or anything and I was like fuming I was so mad so I was just like you know what screw it I'm just gonna block you on everything I can't do this anymore this is like really painful um and I remember calling her and she was just like I could hear her kind of being like I told you so yeah but she was just like all right now we're going to do what God wants for you, which is to have like a beautiful and happy life. And God already has somebody picked out for you. And this is where you're going to like work on yourself and blah, blah, blah. And I think she was almost excited that it was over. Yeah. And oh my God, because it was so bad. Yeah. And we made like this pros and cons list, uh, my friend and I. And the, the cons took us maybe a minute to write. And it filled up, like, a whole sheet of paper. Like, it was really bad. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Well, you know, like, I love that your sponsor said that to you, though, right? Because it does say, like, we are sure that God wants us to be happy, joyous, and free. Yeah. And, like, how cool is that? Like, that's what God wants for us. He wants us to be happy, joyous, and free. Yeah. Right? Like, he wants us to be happy. And that's amazing. Yeah. That's, I mean, it's so awesome to have a God that wants that for us. Right. And honestly, one of my favorite things about my sponsor is that every time I forget or every time I want to tell myself, no, that's not what God wants for me. Because, like, I have the right to say anything and what God wants, whatever. Okay, Mel, settle down. She'll be like, Mel, God wants more for you than you want for yourself. And I'm just like, oh, my God, you're so right. And And I'm able to right size myself and just let go of the reins, let go of my self-will and control. I love that, though. And let him do what he does best. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I remember um, this other relationship. I'm very good with relationships, if you can't tell. Me too. (laughs) And it's really funny because, like, anybody who listens to any of these podcasts knows everything about my life Um, (laughs) because I just am very transparent. But And it was like, red flag red flag red flag Uh and I remember talking to my sponsor I was like I see what's wrong with this um I know it's not right but the only way I'm gonna stop talking to him is if you tell me that you won't sponsor me or I'll drink over this 
Otherwise, I'm going to allow myself to get in more pain around it before I do anything differently. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, and, and I did, you know, and she's like, well, you're not going to drink over it right now. Um, and I would never tell you that I won't sponsor you. So go <laughs> <Have> ahead. <fun. laughs> yep. And again, it was that I knew this was going to happen. And yet I did it anyways. Mm-hmm. You know? Oh, yeah. So on that note with intuition, mm-hmm. how is uh, step 11? Step 11. We love step 11. 10, 11, 12 is the best. Um, my prayer and meditation looks very different now than it did when I first started, obviously. Um, and my like conscious contact with God. And I just want to say, like, I say God out of sheer laziness of not wanting to say higher power every single time. Um, just throwing that out there. But, um, now it just looks like casual conversation mm-hmm. like I'll be driving and it's funny because I actually have a camera in my car because I work with adolescents for liability so I'm always just like I wonder who's watching this if anybody but I'm always <laughs> just like you know what God just like allow me to peacefully make it through this day be of service to you and and whatever you allow for me and intuitively place me in the perfect places at the perfect times to be of service to whoever needs me and whatever and that's great and that's yeah. fun and I will say, like, I struggle sometimes, too, like, just in the day-to-day kind of stuff. And maybe this is more step 10 oriented than 11, but it's we can fine. We talk about it all. Yeah, we'll talk about it all. Yeah. You know, there are so many parts of my day where I truly believe that Mel knows what's best for Mel. Mm-hmm. So many parts of my day. And then after all has been said and done, I'm just like, Mel, why didn't you ask God for help? Like, what are you doing? Because then I'll find myself in a situation, and it could be a very small situation. And I'm just like, this could have all been avoided if you just asked for help, if you just met God halfway, like what you tell your girls to do and your friends to do when they ask you for advice. Like, take your own advice and, like, do the work. It's not that hard. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have to right, my, right size myself constantly. Um, in terms of meditation, though, not great. Just going to be honest. It's hard for me to be still. Mm-hmm. And it's hard for me to be quiet. And well, Sorry, I don't want to interrupt you. Oh, but yeah. I heard this thing at my home group that I loved. Because mm-hmm. the topic was step 11. And he was like, you know, you hear so many people be like, oh, you have to be still and you have to clear your mind and all this stuff. He's like, not once in the book does it tell you to do that. That's such a good point. And I was like, whoa, mind blown. That's how I feel right now. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, I have to share this news with the world. Yeah. It's like brand new information. But I never just saw that. Right. It's like it actually says like think about the 24 hours ahead and consider your plans for the day and ask God to do this. And it doesn't say like sit Sit still still (laughs) in a quiet room and clear your mind. So, but I didn't want to interrupt you, but I had to tell you that. Thank you for interrupting me (laughs) because that's a game changer. Mm -hmm. Isn't it crazy? Sometimes just like with recovery and, and the steps and all this stuff, right? We make all these kind of like, this is what it looks like. And nowhere in the book does it actually say this is what it looks like. It's like it can be whatever you want it to be. Mm-hmm. And we feel like if it doesn't look that way, we must suck, right? Yeah. We mu- I must suck at step 11 if I can't 
right sit still and do them or like yeah or I compare my step 11 to other people's who are like you know yogis and can like (laughs) do all the things I'm like oh I mean yeah so what what is it that you do though to like grow your conscious contact with God so actually so I was raised Jewish but today I don't actually identify with any organized religion but I recently started listening to different sermons and different church sermons. I'm still not familiar with like the vocab, so just bear with me. But um, I had a friend introduce me to like these like mega church guys, and I was like, mm, like okay. And then Erica actually introduced me to a couple of the pastors that she had listened to, and then my cousin kind of opened the door to what she was listening to. And all of it's very much still recovery related, mm-hmm. I've found. And like you could just take Jesus out and replace it with whatever you want or, or, or you know, yeah, really whatever you want. And that's been really eye-opening. And it's been a little bit easier too, I will say, because b- before I was such a stickler of I'm going to do what I want in terms of, of God, but it's so much nicer to almost have a guide. And I feel a little bit more... And I don't want to say more connected, but I feel a little bit more kind of protected, be, and if that makes sense, because I feel like I'm on some sort of path, whereas before I was all over the place and was just like, God here and God there and whatever. Now I kind of feel a little bit more directed mm-hmm. and a little bit more, and I don't know if safe is a good word, but I'm going to use the word safe. And that's been really cool mm-hmm. and eye-opening. Yeah. And I have another really good friend and he does all this like really random spiritual stuff whether it's like going to a mosque or like a buddhist temple um, or a synagogue to open up his kind of frame of mind and i've joined him on a couple of those excursions and it's been really cool and just to experience how other people experience god has Mm -hmm. been really eye-opening i think the biggest thing is to just stay Mm open-minded there is no right or wrong yeah you know, um, Chloe, our director of programs here, she says something that I think is really cool because, like, she doesn't belong to any organized religion or anything like that. And But she will read things like, um, you know, like Emmett Fox or Richard Rohr or something, mm-hmm. you know, that, like, that are Christian-based or use the word Jesus or whatever and maybe even some other religious things. And, and she said that she doesn't get caught up in the religious terms, right? In those types of things, because then you miss the God in it. Yeah. And I just loved that so much. Yeah. You know? A hundred percent. The book talks about that, like the prejudice against spiritual terms and all that, you know? Mm-hmm. And and I think that's really cool. Mm-hmm. Well, so step 11, mm-hmm. we talked briefly about step 10. But you talked about in the beginning how you love being able to work with other women. So talk about what does step 12 look like for you? Step 12 lately has been a wild ride, actually, because just, what was it, two days ago? So I have, I mean, I have six sponsees right now, and I have three that are, like, really actively doing the deal. I have one in detox. I have one that is trying to decide whether or not he is actually an addict or an alcoholic. And I have another one that's just like doing her own thing. So I'm going to let her experience that. And I love working with them and, and, and taking them through the work. 
But I find myself going back to my old sober living randomly and just checking in with the girls and just being like, how's everyone doing? What's going on? Do you guys want to ride to a meeting? Like, do you want to get dinner? Like, how's that going? And the other day I like finished a work meeting and I was just driving down and I found myself like going down that street and just pulling into the driveway and like letting myself in like I own the place and just being like, hey ladies, what's up? And just being available. So that's one way, but that lately it's just been crazy because I feel like a lot of people, you know, once they're done with sober living and treatment, they're like, we're out of here. I just can't get away. <laughs> yeah. Well, you're coming back as like a demonstration of what God can do. Oh, yeah, for sure. And it's it's funny because like I do have a lot of other friends and they go back to their treatment centers and, and carry the message and stuff like that. But H&I is a big one, too. For a really long time, I was going to the 2-4. Mm-hmm. And honestly, the 2-4 H&I that I was doing, it was late on Saturday nights. That's like where I built my fellowship and made all of my friends. Um, because yeah, we Brittany would, talked about that. Yeah, we would like just go every Saturday. And, and actually, like this evening, I'm like hanging out with some of the people that I got close with there. And that H&I... I mean, that H&I will always have a really special place in my heart. I'm starting to go to Homeward Bound because they, I believe they reopened their women's center. And so my friend was like, let's go in there. Let's do it. And I was like, yes. So now we're so excited. We're going to go next Wednesday. So I'm really excited. And I love, I love getting those women that are just like down and out, nitty gritty addicts and alcoholics, right, that just need help. And are willing to do whatever to get it like I love working with those women so I'm really excited to go back yeah yeah I love that for you Mm -hmm. and for them right (laughs) and I also wish that more people had that enthusiasm yeah well here I mean I didn't always like being of service yeah but then it got to a point in the work where it was no longer about me and I like took that and really ran with it and then started to love being of service because you can have a lot of fun doing it for sure some of the best times in my sobriety was around like I don't know maybe a year to two years of sobriety of so Sober, whatever. Sober time? Yeah, sober time. <laughs> and um, a lot of that was because it was just so, my my whole life was wrapped up in like 12-step work. And like I was carrying the message to tons of places. And I was sponsoring a bunch of women and mm-hmm. all of those things. And it was still, it was whenever life was still very simple. And so yeah. like, I just remember thinking like, this is always going to be a time where I'm going to look back and be like, that was an awesome time in my life. Yeah. And like you said, that's where I'm, created the fellowship and met a lot of my friends was through carrying the message yep and that's awesome because those are the type of people you want to be your friends yeah right are the people who are doing those things that are like throwing themselves into the work as well mm-hmm. oh yeah yes well so do you have a big book not on me I'm I gonna, mean I have a bunch I'm gonna <laughs> g- I'm gonna get you one okay Hang okay on. So I'm going to ask you your favorite part in the book. My favorite part of the big book, and I actually brought this as a topic at a meeting the other day, is the la- literally just the last two paragraphs of a vision for you on page 164. 
Can I read it? Yeah, I okay. want you to. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. That part is so important. Mm -hmm. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then. So why is that your favorite? I think it's so powerful, it and it's oh, every time I read it, I get goosebumps and I shiver a little bit. Like I just get this little chill because I think it really encompasses every part of the book in in a very small, small passage. And it's just so true. We don't run. We don't skip our way over to happiness. Like it's hard. It's a hard time, but we do it, and we do it together. And that part makes it fun, right? With God, with our fellowship, with immersing ourselves in this work, like it's really not that bad of a time. And that doesn't mean that sucky stuff doesn't happen and life doesn't happen on life's terms, but we get through it together. We are not alone. It takes a village, right? And this is saying like, as long as we just continue to do the things, which is like cleaning up our past, apologizing when we need to, making like righting our wrongs, helping others and keeping close contact with God, while having that strong fellowship around us, like it's gonna be okay. And this and this passage just kind of reminds me like it's gonna be okay no matter what. It's gonna be okay and we're gonna get through it. And I think it's just so powerful. It is powerful. Mm-hmm. I remember the first time I heard that and it said the answers will come if your own house is in order and we obviously can't transmit something we haven't got. I remember being like <gasps> Mm-hmm. <laughs> how do go. I know if my own house is in order like super paranoid you'll know or self-centered I don't know what the they're kind of both the same but yeah yeah no I love that too mm-hmm. so the final question is always if you could leave the listeners with one takeaway whether it's for somebody who's getting sober trying to stay sober whatever the case may be if this podcast was going to be deleted and they were only going to listen to this one thing mm-hmm. what would you want to make sure you leave them with you don't have all the answers even though you think that you do i love that mm-hmm. oh that's so good yep mm. all right well my friends um thank you so much for tuning in with me and mel today mel this has been fantastic thank you so thank much. you for having me i've had a great time good if you all have loved what you heard please like Share So you can upload it to your Instagram stories. Tag the Magdalene House. Um, if you know Mel, you can tag Mel. <laughs> if you know me, you can tag me. And the reason why we do that is so we can get this podcast out there, right? Because more people need to hear it. More people need to know that um, there's hope. They need to hear solution. Um, and they need to know that Maggie's exist. And so if they don't have resources or even if they do have resources, Uh, We help women recover here at absolutely no cost with high quality care. And so you sharing the podcast also helps that. Please also send it to somebody that you think would be inspired by this message. Leave a review on Apple Podcasts. What that does is it puts it out in the algorithm world to make this podcast more 
accessible and more visible. Um, I just checked the numbers today and we have hit over 30,000 plays. Wow. And so your review helps that. All right. (laughs) So thank you everyone for tuning in and I will catch you on the next episode. Bye. podcast is from the Magdalene House, a recovery community for alcoholic women. We are a nonprofit organization located in Dallas, Texas, and we provide comprehensive recovery services to alcoholic women at absolutely no cost. You can learn more and support our mission at magdalenehouse.org.